0: Welcome to the Husband Material Podcast, where we help Christian men outgrow porn. Why? So you can change your brain, heal your heart, and save your relationship. My name is Drew Boa, and I'm here to show you how. Let's go. Today on the show, we have back again Greg Oliver, founder of Awaken Recovery and an active member of the Husband Material community. Welcome, Greg. Hey, Drew. It's good to be back with you. It's great talking to you today. It's always great, whether it's on an interview or just on a phone call. I always feel really encouraged and instructed by talking with you. I feel like you have so much wisdom to share. And today we are going to talk about the brain.
1: Yes, I am not a brain surgeon but I stayed at a holiday inn express last night so
0: <laughs> yeah we're going to talk about the brain and you have done a lot of research and reading about this this has made a huge difference for you and the guys that you help and specifically we're going to talk about what happens when we try to remove porn from our lives what happens neurochemically yeah Why are you so passionate about that topic?
1: Well, I talk with so many men who are just constantly beating themselves up with shame over their behavior, right? And they ask questions like, how could I do this again? Or what's wrong with me that I keep doing the things that I don't want to do? And I can tell by their questions that their assumption is that they believe that the answer is completely about their character, Right. It's about some kind of deficiency. And then there's no other explanation for it. And I think that they overshoot the mark of taking responsibility, which, of course, is healthy to do. But when you overshoot it, you're shaming and punishing yourself. And that just pushes you farther away from the progress that you want to make. And so I, I believe that people, when they are saying those things about themselves, are missing a very important piece of the puzzle. While you know we definitely all have to take responsibility for our choices and for our behavior part of taking healthy responsibility i believe strongly is understanding all of what's going on because i can't own something that i don't understand and so if i don't understand that my brain has been hijacked by this continuous behavior then i get distracted by shame and i just get in this this loop And I never am able to see, well, what can I actually do to pursue healing in that? So uh, just because of how often it comes up and how common and universal it is among people who struggle, um, I I just think it's really important for us to understand it a little bit better.
0: Yeah, I totally agree. And especially when we're talking about long-term chronic porn use. Yeah. What has been your personal experience with healing from that? Well, I mean, I was one of those shamers uh,
1: for a long time because I struggled with unwanted sexual behavior for almost 25 years uh, before God intervened uh, back in early 2009. And, you know, for so many years, I kept crossing lines that were on my original list of lines I'll never cross, right? You know, well, yeah, I'm struggling with this, but I'll never do that. And then I do that. Well, yeah, but I'll never do that. And then I would eventually do that. And I knew that what I was doing felt compulsive, um, like felt like something's pulling me toward this behavior. But I mean, I never realized that that's actually what was happening. Um, I was serving in full-time ministry and I was lying and keeping my behavior secret and hating myself because I felt like such a fraud And that was what really became the headline. You know, it was confusing because it didn't feel like I wanted to be doing what I was doing, but the only way I could explain it is this must be what I really want, or this must be who I really am, or, you know, maybe a reflection of who I was, because I had no idea that there was so much happening on a neurological level. And so um, I didn't realize it until I was already in recovery. And my therapist kind of helped me understand, no, this is not just you know, choices were a big part of the early stages, but it, it got to a point where your choices were kind of taken away, which sounds scary because it sounds like now it's not my fault. Um, but without asking for help, you know, you really do get to the point where you sort of can't stop. You're just on a runaway train. So I know what that feels like. And I hate the way that it felt. And I know that when people are still stuck in that, 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 you know, part of that understanding is going to be helpful on their path
0: forward. You know what it feels like. Oh, yeah. And you've known what it feels like for a long time. And now you know scientifically what is happening in the brain. Mm-hmm. So what are some of those results and consequences from long-term pornography use? So,
1: you know, I, I, I made the joke earlier. I really am not a neurological expert um, but maybe, you know, what I try to do is learn about it uh, as much as I can so that I can put it in, in terms that everybody can understand. And I just want to shout out real quick to, uh, to Donald Hilton because his research has been absolutely pioneering and instrumental and essential. Um, and, uh, if you haven't heard of Donald Hilton, you should just Google his name. And there's so many articles, um, and you'll probably link to some of them.
0: Yes, I'll link to the one that you shared with me. It was really good. Great. Well, just to understand
1: that the brain is a complex system, right? And so it is a system made up of subsystems, and the different systems in the brain have their own function, but they're designed to interact with each other. And so, you know, there's, uh, you know, there's, I don't I, I want to get into all of them, but like one thing that's really cool is, like the amygdala, which is something that releases um, cortisol when we're in a dangerous situation that triggers the fight, flight or freeze response. That is all like, bah! you know, it's all reactivity, <laughs> which is to help to get us out of danger. But our prefrontal cortex is the thinking part that's able to say, oh, it's OK, it's OK. Thank you for letting me know about this. This is what we want to do about it. So there's two parts of the brain. One that's all reactive, but is going to be like the sentry calling out that there's a problem and one that knows what to do with it. And so when they work together, it's beautiful because each of them is playing their role and they're complimenting each other. So, you know, in, in, in all that, another part of the brain is the reward circuitry or the pleasure center of the brain. And I think it's so cool the way that God designed our brains at our most instinctive level, to survive, right? God has created the brain to release hormones, neurotransmitters, chemicals, with the baseline goal of stay alive. And that means don't die, but it also means perpetuate the species. And so there's a lot that releases from the pleasure circuitry of our brain associated with eating and having sex, because if we don't eat, we'll starve to death. If we don't have sex, the human race will die out.
0: Now let's talk about the brain science, and this is gonna get a little bit technical. It's gonna be super helpful. We're gonna talk about what happens in a healthy brain during sexual arousal, and then what happens in the pornified brain, and the brain that we're dealing with when we're trying to remove porn from our lives. So Greg, what are some of those chemicals that you're gonna help us understand?
1: Yeah, so they're the same chemicals that are in play, whether your brain is healthy or pornified. So what we'll ultimately talk about is where it goes when they're being experienced in healthy ways versus unhealthy. But there are hormones, neurotransmitters, chemicals, including dopamine, norepinephrine, oxytocin, vasopressin, prolactin, serotonin. I know it sounds like I'm shopping at GNC right now, but like all of those things... They serve very different and very specific purposes, and they happen at different points during an arousal cycle. And when you're healthy, it's beautiful. When you're unhealthy and using porn, it can really uh, derail what God created to be very pleasurable. So we'll talk about all of those.
0: Sounds good. So let's start talking about how does the brain work?
1: Dopamine is one that probably most people have heard of, um, and dopamine releases— when you're aroused, and it also releases when you're hungry. And and it's just because that's how God made our brains to work. So when you think about all of the, the, the release of all of the different chemicals that happen at the different stages of arousal, and you think about it overlaid with God's design for how he intended sex to be enjoyed between a husband and a wife, it is just like Way to go, God. Like that was something awesome that you created and how it starts and how it culminates and how it tapers. Like this is just a great idea. Like you can tell that the creator came up with this stuff. But when we hijack it using porn, you can see how it can create so many problems. So um, during arousal, two of the most active chemicals are going to be dopamine and norepinephrine. So dopamine basically is something that um, it's got your attention, right? And so even if you're ADD, like when the dopamine starts to, to flow, you're able to focus a little bit more than you typically can. Um, and so when I'm aroused by my wife and I'm thinking, you know, I got, I got some, some love on my mind, then, then I am really able to focus on her when sometimes I might be distracted And that's the part I need to work on because, you know, I need to show her that kind of attention all the time and not just when I want to have sex. But when I do want to have sex and when my body is aroused, like I'm really fixating in, I become that, you know, hunter uh, like the caveman who goes out chasing after a woman and the norepinephrine which you hear epinephrine, you think epi, if you've watched a medical show, you hear like when somebody's heart is slowed down or stopped, they'll push epi in there to get it started again. So epinephrine is not only introduced externally, but it also is produced internally by the brain. And so when we get excited and aroused, we start to feel our heart racing, right? And our our heart starts beating faster. And so like we are really moving towards a goal of something that we want. And there's excitement there. There's focus. There's energy.
0: Yeah. And there's the anticipation of a reward, right? Yeah, that's right. Reward and repetition
1: are two R words that are really associated with this. Because if I'm I'm aroused and wanting to have sex, my brain remembers what sex feels like. And it remembers that that's something I like a lot and I want to do that more and more. So there's the repetition. So I enjoyed it the last time. I want to do that again. It's like when you drive by your favorite barbecue restaurant, and you smell it and your mouth starts watering. You remember how good it was and you want to eat it again. It's, it's not just about sex, but it's reward and repetition. And so those are really, really powerful. And so, you know, we pursue it. Um, and then, you know, if, you know, when my wife and I make love, I get to the point of orgasm and there's more that releases. There's oxytocin and vasopressin Um, and oxytocin. A lot of people have heard of because that's like the, the, uh, the mother child bonding uh, hormone. A lot of times you hear when a nursing mother is, is feeding her baby, there's oxytocin that's shared it. It bonds the, the mother and the child, but really oxytocin releases every time you have skin on skin contact with another person Um, When a good friend gives you a really long, tight hug, uh, your brain releases oxytocin because you're feeling close to that person. When you have an orgasm, it's just an explosion of oxytocin and it's bonding you to the person with whom you're having sex. Okay, so vasopressin is something that there's been a lot of research done because there's a phrase that's called partner preference. Um, Vasopressin is released And when they've studied the animal kingdom and animals that mate with more than one mate, they can somehow, I don't know how they do it. uh, I don't think they take a survey because I don't think that like these mountain goats can talk, but somehow they're able to measure the amount of vasopressin. And they notice that if there is a female that the male mates with more often, there's a higher level of vasopressin. And so Basically, the more you have sex with a person, the more attractive that person is going to become to you, which is actually really cool when you're married, because a lot of times one or both partners may feel some insecurity about their appearance, about their bodies, about their attractiveness. And they think, well, I suffer by comparison. Well, the cool thing is if your spouse is the only one that is getting your sexual attention, then it doesn't matter what they look like. They're going to look good and your brain is going to help them to become the gold standard, which is so awesome, right? You don't have to worry about whether you're the prettiest or the hottest uh, or the fittest, because if you're the only one, then you're going to be the standard that that the, the brain is looking for.
0: You got a monopoly on that vasopressin. Yeah,
1: exactly. And I mean, I don't know very many people who have experienced that, sadly, because most of us have a history with porn, but it can become that way. And, you know, my wife will talk about parts of her body that she feels insecure about. And I've actually noticed, like, I'm not going to get TMI here, but I've actually noticed over the 12 years I've been in recovery, that some of the parts of her body that she feels insecure about, like, really look good to me. And and I love seeing those parts of her body and, and, probably there. Well, honestly, there's a time that I didn't feel the same way because I was comparing her to you know, the unrealistic and just the volume and the variety of everything I was seeing in porn. So it really does work. Um, and then finally, after the orgasm, um, when you're kind of settling down, you're kind of in that afterglow time, there's prolactin and serotonin that release. And serotonin is just kind of a... Peaceful, easy feeling, right? It's just a a feel good, natural state of being. It just makes you feel peaceful, relaxed. And prolactin makes you feel satiated. It's kind of like after you've had a good meal, you ate just enough, but not too much, and you're like, man, I feel great. And it also makes you sleepy. Um, And uh, so, prolactin is one of the reasons why, stereotypically, after sex, men want to roll over and go to sleep. (laughs) <laughs> um, even though their their wives may want to talk some more because men have a higher level of prolactin that's released from their brain than women do. So think about it, Drew. I mean, you've got dopamine and norepinephrine that really are helping you to begin that pursuit of your partner. You, you share that sexual experience together. It climaxes with an orgasm in which you just feel super bonded and close to your partner. That is, that is what you want more than anything and anyone else And then you're able to just bask in that, you know, you're able to just enjoy because after you have that orgasm, there's no shame. Everything is right with the world because this is like, this is the way that it was designed to be. So take that same arc and apply it to pornography. So with porn, you still have the dopamine and the norepinephrine. You have that anticipation because you've looked at a lot of porn. You remember like your brain remembers that there is arousal, there's, there's pleasure, and it knows that there's an orgasm coming. The problem is you also remember what you feel like if you don't really want to be looking at porn and you know what you're going to feel like after the orgasm is over. And so what a lot of people will do and probably a lot of people watching this will be able to identify, we will extend the amount of time that we're using porn far longer than like a normal sexual encounter will take. You know, sex with a spouse, we're not talking about hours and hours and hours. We're talking about, you know, minutes and minutes and minutes. And so if I'm delaying my orgasm, then I'm training my brain to expect this incredibly high release of dopamine over an incredibly long period of time. And so I become conditioned to expect an unrealistic and an unhealthy amount of dopamine and, and the,
0: yeah. So what you're saying is because we don't want to feel that shame and self-contempt afterwards, we delay it and then we prolongate the anticipation and kind of the lead up to an orgasm.
1: Yeah. And it's not always, it doesn't always start with, I know this is going to be bad when it's over. Sometimes it's just like, I haven't really experienced a lot of negative effects. I'm really enjoying looking at porn and I don't want it to be over. You know, so but over time, when we experience like the negative impact, then we know like once this orgasm happens, I'm gonna feel like garbage. And so I just am, you know, I'm just kind of riding this train out and, and making it last as long as I can. So you think if this is the normal amount of dopamine that spikes when you're with your partner and this is what you're getting used to with porn, then what's it going, how satisfying is it going to feel with your wife before long? It's going to be unsatisfying. And if you're not married, then you get married expecting that it's going to be great. And then your brain doesn't even know what to do with the real person. So that can be really problematic.
0: Um, is that what people mean when they talk about supernormal stimulation?
1: Yes. Yes. Okay. Um, actually, I, when you mentioned that, there's a there's a researcher named Nicholas Tinbergen. Uh, I think that's how you pronounce his name, but he was Scandinavian and he did the cardboard butterfly experiment, which you probably heard
0: of. Let's talk about that.
1: So he noticed that in the animal kingdom, that if you were to overly exaggerate the sexualization that animals are looking for, they would be drawn to that. And so some of the examples, like there's a, a particular type of beetle that when they were like in a mating sort of mind, he noticed that there was like a beer bottle, that the opening of the beer bottle looked like an enormous beetle vagina. And so he would put that in there and they would try to mate with the beer bottle because bigger is better, right? And so uh, another one that he did was the cardboard butterfly where there were certain butterflies that the men were attracted to the females that had the larger wings and the more colorful wings. And so he did this just enormous cardboard butterfly and painted it with all these neon colors. It was totally unrealistic, but when he stuck it in the container with all the butterflies, the males just flocked to it. They were fooled by the, by the supernormal uh, stimuli and they uh, abandoned the real to go for what was, you know, over-exaggerated. And that's really what porn does. Um, And so, you know, porn, uh, one of the things that I hear a lot of people talk about in porn is the three V's. There's volume, variety and violence. And so there's so much that you can see for free in porn that you can never see the same thing twice. The variety of activities that no real relationship could ever compete or or should even want to do those things and the fact that violence is so inherent in porn that when you're saturating yourself with all of that content, your brain is being tricked into thinking, this is what sex is. And so, and we call that conditioning. So anytime you're around a certain way of doing things for long enough, you begin to perceive it as normal. And so now the unhealthy amount for the unhealthy amount of time, dopamine rush is what your brain has come to expect, And when it doesn't get it with a real person, then you're going to feel disappointed. You're going to
0: run back to what does give it it to you. And if we have no other concept of what sexual stimulation and arousal could be, that's all we got. That's right. That's right.
1: And so we don't know, you know, I'm old enough to know that like my original arousal template or basically the things that I noticed when I first started becoming sexually aware were all things that, number one, were based in reality. It was like that famous Farrah Fawcett poster from the 70s, you know, and like the, the catalog bra and panties pages, you know. But all of those things were based in reality, and they couldn't compete with the real thing. Looking at all that stuff, and even like when I looked at a Playboy and masturbated to it, that made me want to experience the real thing. Well, now porn is so just completely blown up that like why would I waste my time on the real thing because this is there's so much more here.
0: It's like the massive bottle for the Beatles or the neon cardboard for the butterflies. And it's overwhelming. It floods the system. We we can't handle it.
1: And the one thing that we're missing in that is relationships. And that's a delayed realization for most people. By the time they realize that, that it's empty, um, they're hooked. And so that's, you know, and that's one of the reasons why we're talking about this. So back to the chemicals. Or do you have something before I get back to the chemicals?
0: Yeah, I just wanted to say that it seems like porn is so far beyond what a real person can provide. What you just said about the lack of relationship means that porn can never compete with a real person. Right. Because porn can't see you, know you, love you, hear you. Porn can't choose you.
1: Yeah. Think about the insecurity that drives a lot of people to resist vulnerability and settle for porn because they're afraid that nobody would choose them. And so they basically sabotage themselves and they take that risk away. But what they also take away is the chance of ever experiencing what it feels like to be flinching for rejection and have somebody say, no, I see you and I want you. Oh, I mean, my gosh, there's nothing like it. And I'm not even talking necessarily sexually, but just to put yourself out there in a vulnerable sense Um, letting people know all of the things that we struggle with. And they're still choosing to be with us, which is the last thing we think people would choose. And uh, there's just nothing like it.
0: So good. All right. So we've talked about dopamine and norepinephrine. Let's go to the next part.
1: We are having that big flood of oxytocin that's bonding us to a phone or an iPad It's an object. It's bonding us to nobody like we are connecting with an object. And so it's empty. So it's confusing for the system. But what it does, the system adapts and it begins to prefer with vasopressin to prefer the feel of your own hand or the experience between your hand and a screen And that's what it takes. And, you know, we'll, we'll talk about like PIED in a minute, because that's, that's connected to this, like erectile dysfunction that a lot of people experience. And then, and then finally afterwards, especially if there is a shame element, because like I just did something I didn't want to do with the prolactin and the serotonin, instead of inducing relaxation and peace, it is actually prompting depression because it's bringing you down. Either way, but when you're bringing yourself down and feeling good about what you've just done, that's satiation, that's happiness, that's peace. But if you feel shameful, then that is amplifying it and turning it into depression. And so people who struggle with depression, porn use makes it worse. People who struggle with anxiety, porn use makes it worse because it drives us to isolate. And that is the last thing that we need. Um, and so you think about this beautiful arc of the chemistry when it's experienced according to the design and how, how badly it gets distorted and how it doesn't provide anything that it promises when porn is, is the partner that we're connecting
0: with. What you just described makes so much sense. I'm struck by the beauty mm. of the mastery of what God made. Yeah. And then the equally masterful destruction of it
1: yeah well it, it you know i 've heard probably a hundred different sermons that use that that famous c s Lewis quote uh about that that with god it 's not that our desires are too great, but it 's that they 're too small and he says we 're like that child, that ignorant child who 's happy to make mud pies when a vacation at the sea is offered we 're far too easily pleased. And, and I think that part of the way that we get there is because our messaging uh, as, gr- as we grow up in the church is so bad when it comes to sex. We don't talk about how amazing sex is because we're afraid that if we talk it up and are sex positive, that people are going to want to do it. But they're going to want to do it anyway. And somebody's going to take the authoritative voice. And so like as parents and as as spiritual leaders, like let's let's tell the truth about this. Let's tell the truth about how amazing it is. When you use it the way it was designed to be used,
0: so good, so true. Yeah. One of the other things that comes up for me is thinking about single guys, and right. maybe if we talk too much about the beauty of sex, then they might feel excluded.
1: One of the things that I that I do know is that I walk alongside a lot of single men, uh, either men who have never gotten married or whose marriages ended because of their addiction or because of you know their their behavior. And it's not easy. And I certainly wouldn't ever minimize how hard it is to be single, um, especially after having a lot of experience with sexual activity. But I do know just from walking with them that the healing that we're going to talk about is possible, whether you're single or married. And that sex is not, that orgasm is not the be all end all of existence. And single guys are probably going to say, well, hey, easy for you two married guys to say, right? And, and look, I don't criticize because it is easier for me to say, because I do have a healthy outlet, you know, for, for expressing my sexuality. And some people don't, but I know that it's true. Um, and, and I know that the healing that's offered is available, whether you have a sexual partner or whether you don't.
0: So let's talk about that. Once we understand our brains in terms of some of these chemicals that get activated or overstimulated. What do we do with this knowledge? Well,
1: first thing I think that we recognize that this gives us some insight into some things that might be happening in our bodies, right? Because sometimes people are like, what's, what's wrong with me? Um, you know, some of the physical manifestations, um, guys will notice and young men will notice that they're having trouble with their orgasms. Um, you know, either it happens like this or like no matter how long they go, they can't orgasm. And, and, part of that is connected to that pattern of, you know, binging for hours and delaying your orgasm when you get with a real life sexual partner, like you can't finish. Um, so that's one thing that people will notice either premature or what they call retarded ejaculation. Um, But then porn induced erectile dysfunction is just exploding. And I don't know, like if you listen to the radio uh, where you live in California, but when I'm listening to the radio, I've noticed a huge uptick in like these men's clinic ads that will talk about ED medications that you can come and get. And it's like, I don't think that there's that many people getting to be senior citizens and just having like old blood vessels and, and having ed for that reason no it's this it's all these young men um marianne laden is a as a professor i think at university of pennsylvania or i think pennsylvania she did a study where like almost 600 young men who identified as heavy porn users participated in this research study and 60 of this is like 10 years ago 60 of them reported that they had had experienced ed when they were with a partner And 0% of them experience ED when they use porn. So the brain is conditioned. Porn is what sex is. And I can get an erection as soon as I fire up that screen. But then when I get along with a woman, my brain is like, what is this? I don't know what to do with that. So, you know, the first thing we do is we realize that there's a reason why these things have been happening. Um, Your brain's signals are getting really Lost. You're not making the connections between your brain and your body that need to be done. The other thing um, I think is worth mentioning is something that's called hypofrontality. Um, because that's really important to to the conversation. Hypofrontality is referring to the prefrontal cortex, which is the rational executive decision-making part of our brain. When we use porn over and over again over a long period of time, we're actually damaging our prefrontal cortex. And they call it hypofrontality. And Don Hilton refers to it as like, think about when the brake pads of your car are getting worn out. It's going to compromise your ability to slow down when you need to.
0: So it's almost like my ability to control impulses and make moral decisions Bingo. is weakened. It's right. like brake pads, the brakes that would keep me from going to porn.
1: Yeah, you try to hit the brakes and you keep going and And so if you've ever been in that place where you have not acted out yet, but your brain is like, might as well go ahead because this has already happened that is part of what's going on i can remember sitting there like okay how long am i going to fight this because this is going to happen and it was like it's already happened and i don't know that sounds weird but like having not done the thing yet but in my brain this has already happened so why fight it like let's just get it over with and hit the reset button and it's just such a miserable way of living when it's not what you want to do and hypofrontality is also part of the explanation why, like when all the Me Too stories were coming out, and you hear about you know powerful men who like have a button installed under their desk, and a woman comes to their office, they hit the button, close their door, and take their penis out. Like what rational brain thinks that that's something to do at a workplace? Well, it's not a rational brain; it's a brain whose rationality has been compromised by again and again and again and again um, misusing their sexuality. It gets to where you don't even realize how. How dumb the things are that you're doing, um, because your your ability to be discerning has been compromised. So you know that's that's really important. And I hope that as people are watching this, they're re- saying, "Gosh, that's happened to me, and I thought I was just screwed up." Well, it's not your character. It. I mean, there may be some things that got you started down this path that need some attention paid to them, but at some point you crossed over a threshold and your brain took over and literally was hijacked. And when you start to think, I want to stop, but I can't stop. It's not just you. Um, And so, you know, the, the, the thing that I would want to say right after talking about all these physical manifestations though, is the wonderful news is every bit of that can be reversed. And so, you know, that's, that's the part that I really like talking about. It can be reversed. All right. So um, I know one of the one of the questions that you 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 put out there just in preparation for our conversation was a really, really good one. Because you said, how do you balance compassion with yourself along with taking responsibility, which is such a good question, you know, because I feel like if I am compassionate with myself, then I'm not owning it. Right. And if I'm owning it, then I've got to beat the crap out of myself. Right. That's just there's something that feels right about, you know, but it doesn't it doesn't help. It doesn't put me any closer to the solutions that I'm looking for. And so, you know, a couple of think, thoughts that I jotted down. Number one, I and I alone am responsible for the choices I made that have led me here. And that's just really powerful to be able to say. Like I am taking responsibility. Like I'm calling my own foul. Like those guys you'll see sometime in a a basketball game, the whistle blows and their hand goes up. It's like, yep, that was me. There's something empowering about saying, I am responsible for getting myself in this position. But, But realizing that those choices likely started out of the most natural, normal curiosity that hits all of us as we are becoming adolescent, you know, We are wired to be curious about sex. And if you're becoming an adolescent now, I would venture to say that you have almost zero chance of getting through that without having that curiosity um, answered by pornography, because some friend is going to turn his phone around or is going to show you something that he found on his dad's laptop, whether you were looking for it or not. And so, you know, you've got that normal curiosity but also you've got just the invasion of all of the the places where that curiosity can go. And at some point we start using the way sex feels to alleviate stress, pain, trauma, anxiety. You know, that's a big player too. That's a whole series of episodes of itself in using sex to try to medicate or numb trauma. So you've got all these things that are building on each other and, and it's likely because others have contributed to the things that I'm feeling Eventually, something that began as a choice gets hijacked. The neurology takes over. And this says nothing about your worth or your identity, because if it did, you'd have to apply the same judgment to the Apostle Paul. I mean, you read Romans 7 and it's like, that's just what I'm going through. You know, the very thing that I don't want to do, that's what I keep doing. And the thing I want to do, I don't do it. Like, wretched man that I am. Like, how many of us have said, wretched man that I am, in a 21st century version? Who will deliver me from sin and death? And then, you know, the answer is, thanks be to God, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And that's the answer, is we can be compassionate for ourselves because Jesus is compassionate toward us. Because he knew that that sin struggle, along with every other sin struggle that we have throughout life— was what he was dying for. And so ownership, yes, absolutely. I'm in this position because of choices that I started making way back when, and I didn't ask for help when I could have asked for help. And now that I'm here, you know, rather than make it characterological, rather than make it, well, this is just who I am. Just say, well, what am I going to do about it now? Because there's somebody who's offering grace to me and am I willing to accept it and extend grace to myself?
0: And that's where we start. As you like to say, all of these effects can be reversed. Yes. So what practical hope do we have for changing our brains?
1: So I have two answers to that. The grace of God and neuroplasticity. So, so, which is two things that don't always show up in the same list with each other, right? But the grace of God, I want to say first, right? Because if I am a follower of Christ, I have to remember and be reminded there is nothing that I have done or could ever do that has not been forgiven when I trusted in the death and resurrection of Jesus. Every bit of that has already been punished. And God can't punish the same sin twice. If you are a follower of Jesus, God is not interested in punishing you. That's very, he's, he's interested in you accepting his grace and, you know, positionally God looks at you and he sees you as perfect as Jesus, which, I mean, think about that. The next time you're cleaning yourself up after acting out, you don't feel as very perfect at that moment. You don't feel as clean as Jesus, but that's how the father sees you because he chooses to, because Jesus took the wrath for you. And, and I can't accentuate that enough. Um, but neuroplasticity is the second part of my answer. And that is a very practical example of the grace of God in the life of a person who is, is, is ready to get some help. Uh, God designed our brains to heal themselves. It's the difference between like seeing a statue that was, you know, this big piece of marble and you chip away at it. Once that piece falls off, it's gone. Right. And you just hope that you end up with the product that you want, because there's no like putting it back together as opposed to like silly putty, which back, you know, when people read newspapers um, and there was the the, the color comics and you would push your silly putty down on that and peel it off. And you'd see that. And if you didn't like it, you just roll it up, start all over again. And there'd be no sense that that picture, that impression was ever there. That's a really kind of crude way. Of describing neuroplasticity, but God has made the brain plastic and pliable, meaning it can be the, those neural pathways that have been formed through using porn, they can be reappropriated when we stop using porn and we start using those pathways for other things. Um, and, and that's just a beautiful, a beautiful concept. If you think about like if there's a if there's a path that you have walked on in the woods a lot. what's going to happen the more you walk on that path? It's it's going to get worn down. It's going to get wider, right? There's not going to be as much brush hitting you on the side because the more traffic is on that path, the more prominent the path gets. That's what happens in our brains when we use
0: porn. And so our brains coming off of porn are like trying to create a new path in the middle of Thick, bushy, buggy wilderness. Yep. Of course, it's gonna be slow going at the start. Absolutely.
1: So getting off, getting off of a path, it's like a, a six lane super highway to slogging through, you know, the the, the bush. It's gonna take time. It's gonna be harder. Um, it's gonna seem like it's taking forever. It's gonna be frustrating. But what's gonna happen if you keep walking on that path? it's going to get worn down and it's going to get easier and it's stopping. It's going to, the the briars aren't going to hit you as much. And what's going to happen to that other path that you're not walking
0: on anymore. Some of those lanes might start to narrow. Maybe the growth will come back over them and it actually will become more difficult to go back. Yeah.
1: It's going to certainly feel less natural. The longer we, away from that path.
0: That's a better way to say
1: it. I think there's always a part of our brain that's going to remember what that was like. And I can tell you that because 12 years later, I still get triggered. And there are things that still, you know, fire off that dopamine, even though I haven't acted on those things in an unhealthy sexual way in so long, it still is there. The brain still remembers because I mean, I've been in recovery for about 12 and a half years, which is half the time that I was. You know, acting addictively, and so like the brain still has a lot more experience with the unhealthy way than it does with the healthy way, and so it just it takes time. And it, there's never a day on this earth when you say I'm finished, I've graduated from temptation, because it's going to continue until until we are in heaven. Um, and that's not that's not anything wrong with you. That's just a part of living in a world that's still impacted by the fall. Um, but, you know, Drew, when you said it's going to take time and it does and it's going to be frustrating. I see that as a beautiful invitation to recognize what is my work and what is God's work. Because if I am making all of the work mine, then there's going to be a limit to how much I can succeed. But if my if, if God's work is to change me and heal me, then what's my job? My job is to surrender to him and to ask for help. And where on the one hand that seems like, well, that, that's not very checklisty y like I'll, give me things to do, right? Like surrender seems so nebulous. Well, that's where when we get in a community, we begin to have some structure as to what surrender looks like on a daily basis. what is When I'm doing this, this is my way of surrendering and reminding myself that I'm not in control of my change. I'm in control of putting that back in God's hands again today. And so like, wow, this is so hard. I'm never going to get there. Well, what if it's not your job to get you there? It's just your job to stay on the path and trust that God is going to lead.
0: That's right. On that path, there might be obstacles. There might be potholes or all kinds of different things that we can't overcome, but we can show up. We can't
1: overcome them by ourselves. But when we ask for help and we invite God's power into it, that's often going to be experienced through connection and community with other people, then it lightens the load and it takes the overwhelmed feeling away. I mean, think about like porn and masturbation when you're early in in your recovery. I've heard so many times, like I cannot imagine like going the rest of my life without using porn and masturbating. I'm like, well then stop thinking about going the rest of your life. Focus on today. Focus on today, because how do you get through the rest of your life? You get through it one today at a time. Right. And so if you've taken it down to just, it's going to be overwhelming if you, if you make it your job and you think about forever. But like, God, do I trust you that you will give me what I need to make it through today? And that, that's what Jesus said. He's like, tomorrow has enough trouble. Focus on today. Like, I will give you what you need for today. And that just takes it and it reduces it to something that seems far less overwhelming. And, and the other thing that's good about the daily approach is if you put it in the ditch, well, that's what I did today. But guess what I get to do tomorrow is another day. I get to get back on the path.
0: Yeah. And that path is going to smooth out over time a lot more quickly when we're traveling yeah. it together.
1: That's right. And just getting back to the the brain chemistry for just a minute, I talked earlier about the arousal template. One thing about neuroplasticity is by and large, you experience the healing effects of that faster when you're younger than when you're older. That's why it's easier to ride a bike when you're a kid or to learn a new language when you're a kid, all of that. But sometimes it defies the conventional wisdom and older guys will actually recover from porn faster than some of the younger guys. And here's one reason. Older guys like me grew up before there was an internet. And so the porn that we had, like I mentioned earlier, was not as voluminous and there's not as much variety, not as much of the big cardboard butterfly as it is now. And so we still, even though I got hijacked by porn, those breadcrumbs, that lead back to my original template were still there. And so when I stopped using porn, I had a path to follow back to what I remembered. If you are young, it's very likely that your original sexual arousal was wired to porn. And like that was your beginning instructor. And that's the only thing you've ever known. And so if you walk away from porn, you're gonna feel like you're floating for a while. You're having to start from scratch. And so it may take a little bit longer but it will work. I promise you it will work. God made your brain to do this and it will
0: work. That's the hope that we have. Absolutely. And Greg, you have a ministry helping people travel that path called Awaken Recovery. And I'm going to put all the links to that in the show notes for this episode. And also we are together Participating in the husband material community, which is a great place for guys to get started, to break the isolation and to have some of these conversations so that we can be reeducated.
1: Which is, which is probably of all of the components of turning from and recovering from porn addiction, the most important because it's community because addiction thrives in isolation and it dies in community. And just by you're creating this, Um, I mean, I know that there's already hundreds and hundreds of men who are finding something they've never had before. And you know, I mean, you've seen like the comment threads. It's clunky, right? Because some of these men, this is their first experience ever being able to be honest. And there's so much fear that still drives it. Like, can I say that? Will people like kick me off of this group, you know, and to be able to have a place where we can learn how to do that. We can learn how to relate to each other. It's just so, so important. And so I'm really, really grateful, you know, that you that you came up with, that God gave you the idea for husband material <laughs> and that you did it. You know, it's, it's, it's a blessing for, I know, hundreds of men. For
0: me as well. I built the community that I need. <laughs> and yeah, what you said earlier is ringing in my ears. Porn can't choose you and that's the one thing maybe one of the many things actually that we can give to each other that porn can never provide we can choose each other yeah yeah that's what we're doing every day in our community and in our recovery it has nothing
1: to do with what your body looks like it has nothing to do with how big your penis is it has nothing to do with anything that's explicitly sexual You know, I can connect with you just for you. You know, I can connect with your heart. And oh my gosh, that's just so satisfying. When people who have never allowed their heart to be exposed, begin to expose their heart and see other people care for it well. It's just a beautiful, beautiful thing.
0: And together, we are taking our brains off of porn. Yes. And putting them back where they belong. True connection, mm. healthy intimacy, pleasure that is real it's satisfying. and satisfying. I'm mm. picturing that ar- arousal cycle of anticipation and bonding, and then kind of the afterglow and calming down. Um, maybe even just like drinking a cup of tea and enjoying it. <laughs>
1: Well, it's allowed to fulfill the purpose that it was made for, and it's not being expected to meet every need because it wasn't made to do that, you know? And so like we're allowing sex to be what it is, which is a part of how we connect. You know, I believe there's one person I'm supposed to connect to that way, but there's thousands of people that I'm supposed to connect to. And so there has to be a variety of healthy, wonderful ways. And, you know, there's that that famous Ted talk that Johan Hari did. And the last line of it just says it all, you know, it says that the opposite, uh, the, the opposite of addiction is not sobriety, it's connection.
0: Amen. Greg, what is your favorite thing about having a porn free brain? My favorite thing about having a porn free
1: brain, when I feel triggered, like I said earlier that I still do, My brain tells me the same thing it used to tell me, which is this is going to happen. But now I'm able to say, no, it's not going to happen because now I know that I have a choice. Um, I I, I talk to, to men all the time and I say, just memorize these six words. I don't have to do this because that's true. I don't have to do this anymore. Now, you may choose to do it. The pressure may build. You may decide Screw it. I'm going to. Now it's, you know, I could do this, but I don't have to. And there's something so powerful about knowing that when I feel triggered, I can call somebody or I could I can even call my wife and just say, hey, just letting you know I'm feeling triggered. So I'm getting up and going for a walk. And like that is something I never would have done before. Um, But the, the best thing I love about a porn free brain is having options.
0: I don't have to do this.
1: I don't have to do this because God has given me a better way. And all I had to do is ask for help.
0: Thanks so much for being back and sharing all of this awesomeness with us, Greg.
1: Thank you for having me, Drew. So with all of this information about the chemicals and about the processes, um, if you were listening and you'd like to kind of review that, uh, just use the contact information that'll be in the show notes and reach out to me. And I would be glad to share with you um, a way that you could, you know, you could look over that um, and, and kind of refresh yourself on, on that information.
0: And for everyone else out there, always remember, you are God's beloved son and you, he is well-pleased.